what's going on? I hope you guys are having a good day. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to drboystv.com, the home for intelligent black people. Now, uh, a lot of you are already here, and I can tell that you're excited to hear from our special guest today. Uh, this is a sister who literally, in my view, set the world on fire with some testimony that you all, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. Uh, and her name is Dr. Christina Parks. Uh, Dr. Christina Parks. Uh, she's going to tell you more about herself and fill in the voids, but I do recall Dr. Park saying that she has a doctorate, a PhD in cell and molecular biology from the University of Michigan. Is that correct? That's pretty correct. Okay, and uh, and she is um, and she is not just a person that knows a lot of a lot of things about a lot of things, but she also cares about her community, and uh, that's something that I know that all of us appreciate and respect. And so I hope you all will join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Parks to the platform. How are you doing today, Dr. Parks? Excellent. Thank you. Good. All right. So <clears throat> let's get started. First of all, I want to ask everybody in the chat, give me a yes or no. Give me a yes or no if you saw Dr. Parks' uh, testimony. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was the uh, Michigan, uh, whatever it's, uh, House Legislative Yeah, House Bill. Um, it's to stop. Uh, it's actually to say that businesses cannot discriminate uh, based on vaccination status. You know, okay. And it wasn't just about the COVID vaccine. Uh, that particular representative, Sue Aller, had actually brought it forth in a couple of different years, and it never even made it to committee, I don't believe, because um, like the flu vaccine and that whole like you have to wear a mask if you don't get the flu vaccine. I mean, it just was silly, punitive with no science basis. And so um, and then the DTAP vaccine was one that also medical workers and others were Kind of coerced to get and so this is a, a bigger issue although i think with this particular vaccine it's hitting home much harder mm. so uh dr parks i guess let's start from the beginning um you know i i what my wife and i noticed and my wife if, in case people don't know she's um a scholar like me we're all a bunch of nerds up here and and uh, her her field is social work she's a full professor of social work um uh, i'm a phd in finance and uh, i went to ohio state and uh so i i can forgive christina for graduating from michigan and uh even though they, that that's a cool school to a great school and um and we were we we were intrigued by your uh testimony because I said, wow, here's a person that's really hard to refute. You, you, you know, it's uh, you can't just sort of label and dismiss her. Right. You, we have these labels. Oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. Oh, you must be a Trump supporter or whatever people want to say. Uh, you you came in with a lot of backing, a lot of science. So let's start from start there. Um, what is it that qualifies you to talk about these issues that that everybody's sort of discussing, you know, in an armchair quarterback kind of way? Right. Well, um, the science of these, the COVID vaccines is extremely complex. And um, as a molecular biologist, that's the kind of thing I studied. In fact, when I was at University of Michigan, um, you know, Jeffrey Chamberlain was there. He worked on the dystrophin gene and he since went on to go on to do a lot of gene therapy. So I remember him bringing in different conferences, looking at gene therapy with the CFTR gene. So these exact same platforms, when I saw that, I was like, that's what we were doing you know, the adenovirus vector um, and, and, and the liposomal particles. They started with the adenovirus vector. And so I was familiar with all of that, but not as a vaccination platform. And so I understand the molecular biology, what they're trying to do, what it can do, what it can't do, um, what some of the risk have been historically. And also, um, so I also have a, another one, and that is that um, as a mom, I actually got out of science and uh, decided to teach because I really, really believe what we teach our young people is just so central. And then I homeschooled my son, and that gave me the time to sort of back up and take a more uh, global perspective. Sometimes when you're in science, you can't see the forest for the trees. You're just really focusing on one little problem. And um, I had been concerned even in graduate school about vaccines when they added the uh, chicken pox. I was like, I didn't feel that the cost of chickenpox, it wasn't deadly, was enough to warrant monkeying around with your immune system because uh, my degree is actually in cytokine signaling and that's how your immune system signals. And so we kind of knew that we didn't know a lot, quite frankly, and that we weren't really all together sure what unintended consequences might come from these vaccines. And so, um, as I said in my my testimony, PhDs are some of the most vaccine hesitant people because they know that these issues are complex. It's not a magic bullet. We've, in our culture, unfortunately, we've started to worship science. 
and um, hope and pretend that it's a magic bullet and it's not. There are almost always unintended consequences of things. And so uh, I, you know, and then I saw the kids getting vaccinated more and more and more. Then they moved it to under two years. And I said, wait, wait, I was taught that the immune system's not developed enough to even elicit a proper immune response. Why are we doing that? What I didn't know until much later was that in 1986, Congress voted to make, to indemnify the um, vaccine manufacturers. So mm -hmm. after 1986, they were not liable for any vaccine that's on the childhood schedule. Perfect business model, mandate it for school, no liability. And mm -hmm. so as soon as you get it on the schedule, um, you're good to go. And so you can imagine the pressure on our regulatory agencies to approve these because of all the money behind it and all the money that was getting made. The money that was made off of these um, catapulted the pharmaceutical industries into a powerhouse of lobbying and just money that they could, um, you know, you'll notice if you turn on the news, a lot of it's farm, pharmaceutical advertisements. And so are they there to sell you the pharmaceuticals or are they there to control the content and make sure no bad press is released mm. about the products? I don't know the answer, but I know I'm uncomfortable with that model. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. um, I didn't know all of that, but I was seeing things that didn't make sense from a scientific perspective more and more and more. And um, several years ago, I took a deep dive into the vaccines with um, actually PubMed is online. That's where all your scientific papers are kind of stored. It's a library that you can access. We used to have to pay for that in the lab, so I didn't realize I could have access to it. And so I was able to take a deep dive into the primary literature and um, really see, you know, each vaccine, what the positives and negatives, and what I found was deeply, deeply disturbing. Really interesting. Okay, um, everybody who just came in, I'm talking to Dr. Christina Parks, and you saw her um, uh, testimony this week, uh, which you can actually check out if you go to my Instagram, which is the Real Boyce Watkins. Uh, you can actually see where I posted her testimony, and I know over a hundred thousand of you just on my platform alone watched the testimony, but millions of people saw it uh, worldwide. And uh, so hit the like button, share, subscribe button if you uh, haven't done it yet. And I want everybody to know, uh, and, I, and Dr. Parks, I'll, I'll mention this to you. Uh, this is the first time in a while that I've even had an interview where the word vaccines even allowed to be used. Um, we posted your testimony on, on one of our YouTube channels uh, and YouTube took it down and they said, this is medical misinformation. And I wrote back and I said, well, she has a doctor from the University of Michigan. And, and, I, and I, I said cell molecular biology, but you can please correct me. And I said she was testifying before the Michigan House of Representatives or whatever what it was called. And I don't understand why this would be defined as medical misinformation, you know, and they put the video back up. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah, right. Right. We got lucky. Right. But 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 it was one of those things where we, I knew when I put it up, I said, you know, this doesn't fit the existing narrative. And, and, and I'm going to tell you the truth. My goal in all this, and I'd love to get your help on this, my goal is to be as apolitical as possible. Like, I, I don't want it to be a Democrat-Republican thing. I just want to know what the right move is. And, and so I have friends on both sides, and I don't, I don't get mad at them because I believe it's a personal choice. But it seemed to me that when you did your testimony, I saw a lot of people cheering, like, yeah, wow. Then I saw a lot of people saying, oh, no, this is crazy. What's going on here? How, how has that been for you? How has that felt for you this past week or so with your video kind of being all over the all over the earth? Honestly, um, I've almost gotten mostly 100 percent positive feedback. Just a couple of people asking questions, which I'm always happy to answer. That's the thing. I'm not going to shut you down and say, you know, if you're legitimately curious now, if you start attacking me or things like that, then I don't have time for it. But um, I have had in the past many naysayers. And I think the core is the core belief that we want to trust our government, right? We want to trust that the CDC, that our medical professionals, even our doctors really have our best interest in mind. And I think many of those people do, but they've been misinformed as well. And they haven't had the time or the energy or the inclination to take a deep dive as I have, or, you know, most people, uh, doctors are not really familiar with the science at that level, at that cellular molecular. And really, you know, uh, I wasn't, for instance, there's a virus called SB40, simian virus 40. And in graduate school, we studied this as sort of a prototypical virus that contributes or could cause, you know, we usually say contributes, not cause, but uh, cancer. 
And so we studied this in a fair amount of depth, but I was never ever told that it was actually isolated from the polio vaccine. And that is, yeah, mm-hmm. So mm -hmm. we were told that vaccines, sorry, I'm not supposed to say that word right. Uh, we were told that we were saved from, um, from polio by this new scientific breakthrough, uh, but we weren't told that there were actually a lot of unintended consequences of that campaign. And that um, it actually, in many ways, looks very similar to some of the things that are going on here. For instance, uh, before the the new jab came out, uh, basically everyone, uh, if you had paralysis for 24 hours of any limb, you were considered to have polio. After it came out, you had to have paralysis for 60 days or more to be diagnosed with polio. So do you mm. think that the rates went down? There is new evidence that there's a possibility that deep, um, that different uh, heavy metal and arsenic containing pesticides really played a role as a predisposing factor. Because there were also other viruses that caused paralysis, echovirus and coxsackievirus. And uh, we weren't, we, there was never any jab for those. And so those, like what's going on with that? And so the science is more complex, the history is more complex, and there's been a cover up and now um, there's six to 10 different types of cancer where they routinely um, sequence this SD40 virus from. And so a special mes mesothelioma is one and you can go right into PubMed and find those. They're now trying to walk it back, but for a while it wasn't even, wasn't even in contention. And mm -hmm. they go to Europe where they, and so, so here's where it gets, it gets really messy. I was like, well, wait a minute. How did this monkey virus get into our, our, our medical treatment, right? And the answer is that um, all viruses are grown on cells. And for a long time, they were grown on animal cells. And they were grown on a lot of them, an animal cell called a monkey kidney cell. And those do not have antiviral defenses. So they're like a Disneyland of viruses. And so when you grow a virus, uh, you know, for the inoculation on that, and you purify it, viruses are very small, you get some that ride along with it. And then when you give those to people, that virus now is transferred to the human. That's one of the reasons actually, I think these new this new platform, the mRNA, is actually not grown on cells. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons I think they're trying to move to a cell-free platform. But my question as a scientist has always been, are you just you know trading one set of problems for another? Let's slow down, right? And, and they've been working on these mRNA vaccines uh, for quite some time, but um, you know none of them had been brought to market and this one certainly came to market very quickly. And even if that platform were acceptable to me, this viral spike protein is very, very problematic and you're basically telling all your cells to make it. So anyway, mm -hmm. but we got off of the, the whole polio issue um, that most people have never heard that story. Hmm. Well, you know, Dr. Parks, what one of the things that <clears throat> that stood out to me um, in your in your testimony was that you actually I, I remember I, I said to my wife, her name's Alicia, and I said, I said, this is probably the best testimony I've seen on on all this because I didn't feel like there it was politicized, you know, right. it wasn't like, oh, don't do it or you gotta do it. It was like, here's some science. And and one thing you said that really got me was you actually seem to make the argument that if I'm vaccinated against one strain, uh, that if another variant comes out of the virus, that I'm going to be more vulnerable to that that new variant. That blew my mind because that's almost completely different from what the media has been saying. They they sort of have placed this idea out, it seems, that the people going to the hospital are the ones who didn't get the jab. And that the people with the jab, yeah, they they caught it, and oh, and by the way, they are passing it, but they're they're okay, they're going to be fine. Uh, can you kind of lay out your truth on that, based on you know what you know? You know, I I I don't listen to the media very often because when I do, it's it's really really disturbing. <laughs> so mm. I'm just like I I can't yeah. listen to that because um, you know some of that is just a lie, and so I understand how people who aren't versed in the science can promote that. But in fact, uh, Rochelle Walensky was just on saying that um, the Delta variant uh, 
that basically the vaccine had no ability to prevent people from transmission with the Delta variant. She said that, Fauci said that. I have recordings of them saying that. But apparently the mainstream media isn't echoing that message. I can send you those videotapes because they said that. Then there was, um, I gave the example of Barnstable, Massachusetts, where 74% of the people who became ill had gotten the inoculation and four out of five that were hospitalized. So that's not what the data are telling us. And it's not what the science is telling us. Now, there's always some variation in science where one study might show one thing and another might show something else because their methods are slightly different. Or, I mean, there are many, many var variables that can, can make that happen. But that's not what the data are showing us at all. And in fact, um, this whole phenomenon was a concern of me, of many scientists, including myself. So we were hoping it wouldn't happen. Uh, but it looks like to some degree it is happening. It, until we have enough data in retrospect, we won't know what the whole story is because it's very, very complex. But we've seen this with the flu vaccine, which people have not been told. That um, if you uh, get it every year, you are more likely to get either the flu or any other non-flu respiratory infection. It mistrains your immune system in complex and different ways that we don't totally understand, but we do understand some of it. So I can oversimplify it. But in reality, we don't even, our immune system is so, so complex. And I believe it was designed by our creator. And so um, it's a huge act of hubris to think that we can monkey with it and uh, and do make it do what we want it to do all the time. Mm. So that's not to say that we shouldn't sometimes take life-saving medical treatments. I'm, you know, many people ask me about the monoclonal antibodies. I think that those are, you know, an effective and useful treatment. I understand those and I don't see the risk. Do I think that there are some negatives with it? Yes. But when you're talking about someone that may have a life-threatening disease, the benefit and the cost to me, you know, the benefit outweighs the cost. So I'm, you know, not unilaterally against everything. It's just a matter of um, really, I, I just, feel like people are running forward and saying, uh, this is a magic pill, this is a magic pill, and it's not. It's very complex science with some very um, unfortunate and possible unintended consequences. And, and the thing is, the vaccinologists and the scientists either knew or should have known about these. And for whatever reason, all of that, and this is why they're censoring doctors. So here's a question I wanna ask you. So if we're in the middle of this pandemic, where are all the conferences of scientists and doctors, even if they're online, even if they're on Zoom or whatever, however you want to do it? Why hasn't there been like one every two weeks? Wouldn't you think one on therapeutics, one on vaccine design, one on this? Uh, you know, where has that been? One on OSHA standards, you know, engineering controls. Nothing. This has been a top down control by one person. And I don't know why it is. I was just alarmed because nothing that none of the policy was following the science. Um, I knew that we had the science to overcome this last summer. And I thought by the middle of the summer, it would be struck down. I did my research on hydroxychloroquine, very intimately connected with my field. So I understood what they were saying. I said, the science of this medication is stellar. It's been, uh, you know, parachuted out for the third world where it was, you know, just given away like candy. Um, and it, there are there are a few things that you need to be aware of. Um, one is G6 phosphate dehydrogenase mutations in, in Africans and African-Americans. But we know a lot about that. So this was an amazing medication with the, some of the most stellar basic science I'd ever seen. The top infectious disease expert in the world came out and said, I show that it obliterates viral replication in six days and that basically it turns this around in all my patients. Now, obviously, more studies need to be done, but this is an FDA-approved drug that is safe, and it's been used for decades, for 70 years. And yet, because I'm like, you know, they're like, well, we need to take this inoculation because this is so deadly, but we can't take an FDA-approved medication? That mm. makes no sense. And so there's a lot more going on here. I don't really want to discuss the politics, but what you need to know is that you're not being told the truth or you're not being told the whole story. Why mm. that is, I can only speculate. Mm. Um, um, well, uh, let me let, let me tell everyone, let me jump in real quick, uh, Dr. Parks. Uh, everybody who's watching, I'm speaking with 
uh, the one and only Dr. Christina Parks. And Dr. Parks uh, gave some stellar testimony that a lot of you saw online. I'm going to put her name up here. And uh, also, if you could, uh, everybody, as you come in, hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button, uh, share this video, because you all know, (laughs) I don't know how long it's going to be up, but I don't care. Um, I want you all to have facts and truth and make your own decision. And uh, hit hit that like and share button. That's really important because we have to support our people that are out to represent our interests and protect the community and support the community. And you guys, I I don't think Dr. Parks needs... um, to prove that she did a great job. And, uh, and I want to show you something, Dr. Parks, uh, you, you said a lot. That's, that's really, uh, made me think. Uh, and in fact, I want everybody to know Doc, Dr. Parks is one of the reasons why my wife and I, we don't watch the news anymore. We just watch C-SPAN. We, you know, C-SPAN, I love C-SPAN because C-SPAN will let you watch the actual press conference where you can actually hear mm-hmm. what someone said okay. instead of CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whatever, where they'll, they'll give you their spin on what they said. You know, or they'll take it out of context. I, I drives us crazy. We're like, no, we just want to hear what they said, right? And uh, and so uh, let me show you something. You brought this up, and I actually did uh, research on this, and I want to show everybody this. This is on uh, my Instagram. My Instagram's uh, the uh, the Real Boyce Watkins, in case you guys want to check it out. And you you mentioned this during your testimony, uh, Doctor Parks, and I want to uh, highlight this. This is a uh, Carnegie Mellon study that shows that PhDs are the most vaccine hesitant group of all <laughs> that here this big tall spike these are the phds these are the people with bachelor's and masters and professional degrees people with a little bit of college who didn't quite finish and then the, here's here are the people with high school diplomas best, almost up there with the phd it's utterly fascinating uh it almost says to me that sometimes thinking that you know everything uh, because you're following the crowd or doing what everybody else is doing, uh, can it, so 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 a little bit of knowledge can be very dangerous. Uh, you either want to have no knowledge or a lot of knowledge. It seems on things like this, where you either know what the heck is really going on, or you don't do anything because you don't trust the government. Uh, but Dr. Parks, you brought that up, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that. That was really fascinating. I, I, I when you mentioned that PhDs are among the group that's um, the most hesitant to get the shot, I thought about myself. I thought about my sister, who's a medical doctor. I thought about other PhDs and MDs that I know who said, you know, nah, maybe let me think about it. And so can you kind of speak to that? What what made you bring that up uh, during your testimony? Well, there's this social pressure that you need to be able to follow the science, right? That if you don't want this vaccine, you are anti-science and nothing could be more further from the truth. Again, science is complex. There are always unintended consequences. And, um, and in fact, as I said, those of us who are scientists know that there are often unintended consequences. And until we're very, very certain about something, and they're also the hardest to persuade because we know what we know, right? Other people are like, well, I don't know who to believe. Should I believe my doctor? Should I believe you? Should I believe them? And so they're just kind of like eeny, miny, miny, mo. Okay, I'll trust them today. We know what we know. And, and if there's a hesitancy there, it's because we're not comfortable with that science yet. And so there are times when sometimes you wait to see um, what the unintended consequences are, or maybe you just flat out say, hey, no, that is not safe or, or whatever it is. But, um, you know, you also are able to research. And so many PhDs will take the time to dive into the literature. In fact, they'd probably be more vaccine hesitant if some of them weren't just so busy and maybe they don't have kids and they just haven't spent the time to do the research because one of the things, again, when I was in graduate school, I didn't learn most of this. I had to go pull the the primary literature and I was like, whoa, where, you know, most of us are like, where did this come from? Why, why is this not being talked about? Hmm. And so, um, but more and more moms who had vaccine injured children and, and unfortunately many of those moms are black moms, African-American moms hmm. who, um, you know, I, I mentioned that the MMR study that Congress finally said, hey, do the MMR study and prove that the MMR doesn't cause autism. And uh, and they did it and found that it caused over, you know, 3.7 uh, times the rates of autism in black boys that mm-hmm. got their inoculations on time versus those who got it late. What would it be if they didn't get it at all? And mm-hmm. they checked the data. Those experiments happened in 2002. How many black boys' brains could we have saved 
if we had stopped. Mm. It's very, very upsetting to me. That's and yet the me media too. wants us to think that, oh, we really care about black people. And, you know, if you want to talk about institutionalized racism, well, there you go. I mean, however you want to, you know, to me, the history of, of inoculation is one of testing on marginalized populations, covering up unintended consequences, um, and whitewashing the whole thing, especially now that there's a profit to be made. After much research, I can tell you this, and it's, it's, I, I don't believe it's a black thing. I just believe that um, had it been anyone, you know, they would have covered it up, but more so because that's a little bit more of a political issue. Hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when you're when you're talking, I'm hearing the cha-ching, you know, big pharma. You know, yeah. I, I'm, my, my area is finance. And, you know, you, you follow the money. You, you, you learn a lot of things, right? Like, I mean, just this idea that we uh, have the most expensive healthcare system in the world, but I think it's what we're right, what, number 30 or 31 behind Costa Rica or something like that. And it, it just, you know, this idea that, as you mentioned, you know, hey, don't don't worry about being healthy. Don't worry about taking care of your immune system. Don't worry about doing anything natural. Don't lean on anything that's already tried and true. Just get this new shot we have or take this new pill. Right. And you see that you saw that with the uh, the opioid crisis, for example, you know, it, it, and, and, and then, you know, now with this, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, I, I would I would probably have a lot more faith in the healthcare system if it weren't driven by capitalism. Right. And, and I'm a finance guy. I'm all for free enterprise. I'm all for, you know, capital bases and black wealth is a big deal for me. I, I believe that. But capitalism, the way it's practiced in the United States. It's just downright destructive sometimes. It's greedy. It's built on, uh, you know, for example, Moderna. Moderna was making almost no money before the pandemic. Now they what made, I don't know how many billions of dollars, right? They, they, they're, we, we own Moderna stock, my wife and I, and we were like, oh, look at this. Look at the stock price, right? Well, what's going to happen now is that, you know, Moderna is going to have to come up with a better trick to, main, to make their investors happy, right? So, you know, if the stock went from $30 to 150 the people that buy in at 150 are going to say, okay, what else you got? Right. So they're not going to say, oh, well, you know, the pandemic's over and we realize that for the health of the public, we don't need this, this shot anymore. They, they, they can't do that. you right. That the system will spit you out. Instead, it's like, oh, we've got this new shot. We've got a new booster shot. Or we've got a new variant, a new this and a new that. Almost like an artist coming out with a new record every year. You know? Yeah, like, except for it's yeah, on the it, backs of our, our health. And I right. mean, I guess. I see both sides because I have a special needs daughter and capitalism drives a market in which whatever you want, someone's willing to make. And I think without capitalism, we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have the special needs bicycles. We wouldn't have, you know, many things that uh, the government just wouldn't think to make, but someone had a special needs child or whatever and was like, hey, so I see that side. What we don't want is this crony capitalism, which mm. integrated into our government. And at the heart of this is lack of liability. Mm. Right. If we made vaccine manufacturers liable again, they would be incentivized to make a good product and they can certainly make a much better product. And some of the products may not be that bad, but we have a vaccine schedule that crams them all in there because everybody wants to make their buck. Mm. And uh, and so but if there were liability, then then people would be able to do discovery and find out what was really going on. And so, um, you know, as a Christian, I just believe that we're, we're sinful as a creature. And that's why accountability is necessary. That's why a Judeo-Christian ethic is so important for our country, because without it, we degenerate into this kind of madness where everyone's out for this sort of selfish kind of uh, capitalism. Of course, that's, you know, I'm not a finance person, so that's just my two cents. No, that, that's, that's, that's very accurate. And, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Dr. Parts, I have a couple more things I want to ask you about. And, uh, Actually, make that three quick things. First thing I want to ask is, uh, do you have social media or something where people can follow you and support you? Because I, I, there are a lot of people here that are that are really praying for you because they're like, oh, she's going to need protection. This, <laughs> Amen. Amen, right? <laughs> so is there a way people can follow and, and support what, uh, anything? Sure. Um, so I'm on Facebook. I don't post most much that's controversial on Facebook because what's the point? It'll either be taken down or I'll be taken down. Uh, and so... Uh, most of my science I post on my Telegram account. Uh, so it's just Dr. Christina Parks on Telegram. Okay. And, uh, you know, I can send your people a link if you want to put it on your web page somewhere. 
And uh, I like the way that that channel works so that you can see all the, all the science. I also have a lot of resources like America's Frontline Doctors, like, you know, that, those videos of Fauci and because uh, sometimes those are hard to find. You know, once you find something in this environment of censorship, it's like, where did that go? You do a search, you can't find it. So um, so I have a lot of the, the primary scientific literature. A lot of times I drop it there so I can go back and look at that paper without downloading all of them. But that's my major uh, social media presence right now. Um, we'll see that may change in the future. We'll see what happens with that. Um, what was the other part of your question? I, I think I think you should get an Instagram page. I, <laughs> I don't. I, I've never been on Instagram. I don't. Someone was saying they wanted to do some Instagram stuff with me, and they were talking about it. I had no idea. I sit down and read scientific papers at, at night. So. Well, you <laughs> know what? I know on Instagram. Well, let me tell you, sister. If you need help setting up your Instagram, just let me know. You know, we're okay. we're, we're friends now. I'm glad glad to help. Because my wife, my wife was the same way. She was in you know in her office, just buried away, like a lot of us are. You know, we get trained in our doctors. We're trained to do a couple of things really well. Right. And then, you know, and then you're 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 banging away. I was I was on the faculty of Syracuse University for about 12 years, and I was sitting in my office, you know, 14 hours a day writing these research papers that maybe 10 people could read. Right. You know, and yeah. and, and then I I the internet kind of exploded. And I was like, oh, I can use the world. The world can be my classroom, right? Instead of talking yeah. to 30 kids in the class, I can talk to my people. I, I can talk about what I want, you know, and it's been really awesome. So I, I encourage you. I'm just going to publicly encourage you uh, to set up an Instagram. And when you do, I will personally share your content and drive all my people to go check you out. Because I, I think what you're doing is fascinating. And I wonder. Now, won't I'm, they censor me on Instagram? Well, you know that I can I can give you some pointers on how to kind of deal with that because I, I post things like I posted your video. I post, mm -hmm. um, you know, I try to post facts, right? And, mm -hmm. and and if and the thing is, it's it's an integrity thing. You know, if if a fact is going to get me banned, then so be it, right? And I haven't, yeah. I'm still out here. But I can't say that they're not watching, right? So let me ask you this. Um, I uh, speaking of that, you know, how are things for you professionally? I mean, you you're taking on a lot of big. Uh, enemies here that you know, big pharma. You've got the Fauci crew and and the CDC, and and it's almost like you're saying that they're misleading the public. I mean, how's that been for you? Not almost. I'll just go ahead and say it. They're misleading the public. Really? <laughs> I'll be very clear about that. Um, really? You know, if God is for you, who can be against you? Uh, I feel that I've been raised up for such a time as this, yeah. and there's some things when you know, you know, it's not it's not gray whether they're being misled of what reasons I'm not going to speculate, but, but uh, the truth is the truth. And so um, if you are a person who leads with integrity, you just walk forward and, and, and trust your Lord and savior that he has a plan for this, whether it's uh, for my good and the good of everyone else, or just the good of the world. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But that said, I have been surrounded by, um, there are so many warriors, you know, um, Andrew Wakefield, who I probably shouldn't say his name, um, who they destroyed for telling the truth that these kids with autism had huge gut problems and that their parents reported that it was related to the MMR. Uh, he had a press conference. He would have been fine if he'd done the science in his closet and not said anything, but he held a press conference and they destroyed him. And he said, you know what? My life is great. If you see these, these children's lives, these families' lives that have been destroyed, then it makes you realize that nothing that you are going through is anything in comparison, you know? And so um, I have some friends, their, their children got one, one, it was probably contaminated um, jab, just one. They were doing a, a slow schedule. They had triplets. All three of them regressed into autism within 24 hours. Hmm. Two are severely autistic and one is, is moderately. And, um, seeing the pain and the struggle that they go through every day. Their children are 14 now. It's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. My daughter has special needs. She's not, she's not injured by a jab. Um, it was unrelated, but I know, I know what that journey looks like and I'm not going to be silent and allow people to suffer. So when you, when you see what these moms go through and these moms like, I have such high esteem for them. If you want to ever get me like going, start denigrating one of these moms who has basically given herself a PhD by studying all of the science. I mean, these women know the science, you know, and they, they will read that paper 30 times if they have to, to understand it where someone else is like, I can't get this. They're like, 
it's their baby. It's that important. And so they've learned this science. And so when people denigrate them, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not having it. They're like, you don't have, you're not a doctor. I'm like, well, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so when I look at their journeys and, and what they've had to deal with, um, that's what gives me strength because I'm not going to watch people be destroyed and say nothing. Mm. Wow. Well, you know what? Um, We need more people like you. And I, uh, you are the perfect example of not just a, a, a prayer warrior, but a um, the kind of scholar that we need, right? The scholar that is going to say, I spent all these years learning all this stuff and I'm going to apply it to support my people. And uh, and, and that, that's been my journey. And I just don't see it so much. I see a lot of scholars who are afraid. Well, if I say this, it will hurt my career and stuff like that. It's like, well, okay, your career is important, but there are some things more important than your career. And, well, and it, oh, please go and, ahead. And what, what did you get into your career to do? Like most of us got into our careers, very idealistic to help and save the world. If you're in it and you're not doing that, what was the point? You know, I, I talked to Dr. Simone Gold and I talked to some of these other people who either have lost, ever lost everything or are losing everything by the world standards. But, um, you know, there's there's times in life when there's a paradigm shift in, in history. And this may be one of them where the old model is going to crumble and fall away. And obviously, a lot of people are going to be hurt as that happens. But when they rebuild new, it's the people who have that vision. You know, I think of uh, like, you know, when you have a new country, when a new government comes in mm. and uh, and I'm, I'm thinking more of in a positive sense than in a negative sense. But um, the new people who come in. Um, as they come in, they sort of pull each other up and they they start something new. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's what can happen. And so I'm excited for the future. I didn't really have any career to destroy. I teach at a homeschool co-op. I'm a you know a homeschool mom, and I you know I did teach high school for a while. But you know, I told my son, you know, I'm the same person now as I was when I was battling to get him to do his homework. That mm. was the most important journey of my life is making sure that my children, you know, mm. know the Lord, know what's true and have a worldview and can evaluate different worldviews. And so um, I think we put so much on how other people see us or how other people value us. And I said, it's really how you value yourself. I was no less worthy whether I get one view or a million views. Yes, I love it. I love it. I um, everybody, uh, you know, just tell this sister how much you love her. I, I know y'all are saying it in the chat, but I want y'all to consciously just say, we love you, Christina. Because I, I want, I, and I want, I, we're, we're very intentional here. Just so you know, uh-huh. we're, we're, uh, you know, we, we, we put our community first. Um, we believe our children, we call it it's the B1 philosophy. We believe B1 children are going to lead the world in education, economics, and, and family development, things like that. Uh, also, we believe in the um, idea of being one to be successful. That means coming together, supporting each other, having each other's back, et cetera. That's why I specifically ask you, whatever you're doing, and I just will say this publicly, whatever you're doing or will do in the future, uh, whatever we can do to support that, we will support that because uh, you know we believe that we as a community have to decide who our leaders are going to be or who our uh, you know, who our um, he own heroes are going to be or who are, you know, instead of, you know, looking at some guy on TV because he's he made a song. How about those people in the community that are really holding it down for our children, you know, holding it down for the people that we care about. And so you people like Dr. Claude Anderson and others are highly respected in that regard. And I want to say thank you. And uh, I want to uh, mention one last thing, and then I'm going to let you get back to your day because I can imagine you're super busy. Um, you said something at the end that I thought was really awesome. You talked about uh, the economic implications of this idea of saying, you know, that we're going to take whatever, you know, it's whatever, 50 million, 80 million, however many millions of people uh, that refuse to get this jab, and we're going to just lock them out of the economic system, right? And and you talk about African-Americans, you're talking about a much higher number. Uh, I did a survey on uh, my Twitter. We have about 126,000 people on my Twitter page. About 80% of them said that they have not gotten the shot, wow. right? That's yeah, good news. <laughs> right, right. It's a, it's a big number, right? And uh, and and it, you know, and and so you're talking about a big chunk of people that are going to be just isolated uh, if they pass these laws saying that you're required to get these shots in order to get a job. And and, and a lot of people have real concerns about like what are the long term effects here? Like what's going to you know you know you're just reading so many things. Like I, I think I saw something the other day where they said something about blood cop 
plot possibilities that may develop two or three years down the road and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Um, can you speak on that? Uh, because what I really liked, and this is actually what led me to reach out. I don't reach out to a lot of people like this. I, re- I wanted to reach out to you to have you on. I'm glad you accepted our invitation because you spoke, you didn't just speak as a scientist. You spoke as a black woman. And I thought that was extremely important. Can you speak to that in terms of, uh, you know, what led you to not just talk about the economic exclusion, but you brought up Tuskegee. You brought up a lot of things that re- reflect our people. Can you talk about that a little bit, if you mind? Well, and that's one of the reasons I reached out to you. Quite honestly, I've spent much of my life living in majority communities, but that doesn't mean that I haven't thought very deeply about the problem facing the African-American uh, problem in, in America. And I, I worked in the Ypsilanti schools and in the Ann Arbor schools looking at uh, racial disparities and, and trying to figure out what's going on and, and how can I help. Um, that my heart has always been there. I've been president of the Black Student Association, president of the Multicultural Association. So this has been something that has been a part of, of who I am. And, um, you know, I, I had someone... I'm sure you've gotten sort of the patronizing, all oh, these poor black people, we have to help you. And I shot back with, we have our own doctors, we have our own judges, you know, stop pitying us. Yes. And, you know, because that's not how I was raised and it's not how I raised my mm-hmm. son. You don't do what you need to do. I will kick you in the butt. There okay. You, go. And, you know, that <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, it's a tough love and it's that yeah. tough love that we have to have for our communities. So when you love someone, you don't pander to them, you don't enable them, you tell mm-hmm. them the truth, and you um, you set a higher vision and a higher expectation. And yeah. so, you know, I set high expectations in my own household and for my own community. And mm-hmm. so um, because of that, um, before I can even, ex- you know, set the expectation high, people have to know the truth. And mm-hmm. so it's been very, very difficult because I don't really live right in the black community and because there's a certain amount of brainwashing that's going on with the media in all areas, but in that specifically, that uh, people just dismiss you because it's so far out is what they feel like. This is so far out, it can't be true, or I'm not ready to deal with it. But um, I think when we come together as a as a whole, a black community like you've, you've developed here, it really provides a space for people to really thoughtfully engage and to, to gain that information in a respectful way. It's not just sort of a one-off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of start com- forming a, a coherent community and a coherent worldview and, and many of those things that I think is very, very powerful. And so I'm excited to be a part of that. Tell me about your parents, uh, because people like you, uh, usually the apple is close to the tree. Uh, what, what did your parents do uh, with you that made you into the person you are today? Boy, you know, it's funny because, you know, many African-Americans identify as as Democrats and certainly our family was and I was growing up and through school. Um, I'm now a little bit more conservative. Okay, a lot more conservative. Um, But uh, we had conservative values and family was a value. Um, My my family, my dad's family, my mom is is European and my dad is African-American. My dad's family came from Kingsville, Texas, from the King's Ranch. There's some very rough circumstances. It should be like an epic miniseries, honestly. Um, and my great uh, great grandmother was Apache Indian, so mm. they have a little bit of backbone <laughs> coming in there. And some of those stories are, are kind of exciting. And so there was no nonsense. There were very mm. high expectations. There were very high expectations that you would be educated. And I really felt um, that burden of education in, in my family that um, my my father, you know, went to college. Um, mm-hmm. His mother, you know, basically uh, worked in a sweatshop and gave herself back problems, which she eventually died of with a, a, a bad surgery and then never really recovered from the surgery very well um, in, in terms of her health. But, uh, you know, her core convictions and her stubbornness that her kids were going to get an education, the pretzels that that family wrapped themselves in to get those kids a decent education is just stunning and inspiring. And Mm -hmm. so I was inspired by that. I knew that my success, that everything that I had um, was built by these people, by my my parents and my grandparents that went before me and their sacrifices and that it was a gift that if I squandered, I just feel like it would just be a, a travesty. 
Um, mm. And so I really felt a responsibility, not that anyone ever said anything like you have to do this, you need to do that. That, that was never the message. The message was, you know, we value education in my household. You know, it's like food or education. Yeah, we'll buy the book. <laughs> you know, my son was like, mom, you know, this Herodotus book, he was studying Herodotus, which is like a Greek historian. Right. And he's like, do you think we could get the hardbound with the maps? And I'm like, you know, I didn't say anything in three days. It was shipped from Amazon. Right. Like, so <laughs> we didn't really need it. We can we can eat ramen noodles for a week or whatever. But you know, it wasn't that bad. But I'm just saying. Uh, and and I got that from my parents because when I would hear them, we'd move, and the first thing they would talk about was how's the school district, what what's you know what benefits does that have our children. So I have a very very high value on education, and and my whole family did. And so out of all my extended family, my um my great grandmother had like nine or eleven siblings, and almost our whole family is is middle class when we have family reunions, and so um many of the, those core families were married they stayed mm. married and and they valued education and so mm. those are two core values that that were really were passed down in my family that i think uh, uh stuck and and um enabled people to be successful yes you know what uh dr parks i think you and i have the same parents and I, and I, we, we really do i mean you know everything about family and uh accountability you know like stop sitting around making excuses you know my, my dad was in um uh be in the vietnam war you know shout out to all the veterans there's a lot of veterans that follow the platform i guess because they also understand you know you can't you don't just cry about the mission you go and you get it done right mm -hmm. you know and um and uh and he came back from vietnam like a lot of black men with a heroin issue right you know because a lot of them you know young guys they got into that and I asked him, I, I said, uh, I said, so heroin, you know, there are a lot of people that they get trapped by heroin. They can't get out of that web. How did you do that? And he said, um, I just quit. You know, I just I knew that made that, the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Or like when I asked him, I say, so you've been married to my, my mom for 47 years. That's amazing that, you know, people can't do that anymore. How did what, what was your secret to staying married for 47 years? He, he, he says um, we didn't get a divorce. <laughs> yeah, we just decided. And that was very much my father. You know, we can be very critical of our parents sometimes, too. They're not perfect people. Um, mm. But my father, my brother actually had Down syndrome. And so my dad going up the corporate ladder while having five kids, one with, um, you know, a disability and married to a white woman is no joke, wow. <laughs> you know, and to stick to it. And, and so as you grow older, instead of criticizing, you're like, wow. That took a lot of strength. That took a lot of perseverance. That took a lot of character. And and when you see that, um, you know, and 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 you see what it built, and that's what families are about. If you do not have a stable family, you can't build anything because you're just always in, you know, <laughs> you're always having some drama or or whatever it is. And so that allowed all of us to be successful. It allowed something to be built, and it was just a core cornerstone. Mm, wow, I'm sitting over smiling because everybody in the chat that watches our platform, they know that this is the stuff I, I that we're talking about every week. Uh, you got, you got. We we have to come together as as people, as a community. We family is critical. That I think that's one of the reasons why they work so hard to destroy our families is because they know that if you don't have family, you can't build anything. You can't build wealth. Can't build anything. I think that that's the reason that you know. In my experience, I feel that people are. Um, I'm not sure if the word is intimidated. Uh, the black man is a threat. He's perceived as a threat. And mm. I've wondered why that is. As a black woman, I never felt like I was really perceived as a threat. And But I could see it with black men. A strong black man leading his family in his community is a threat to the status quo because we've been used and marginalized. And if you have a strong black man leading his family and community, he's not going to allow that marginalization. You know, they talk about Trump, and this is not to be political, but that there's so many black people that, especially black males that like Trump. Trump was the alpha male. Black mm. men value that alpha male. It's a very traditional role. It's a role to provide and protect. It's a very strong role. It's not a subservient role. Like we see sort of the beta males that are trying to please. That's not the black men I've met and I know. 
Um, they are alpha males and their job is to provide and protect and lay down the law. Yes. yes. And so, um, you know, that's why I think that many like him because he's perceived in that way. And I won't get into any of the other politics surrounding that. But and, and, and that's why I think the black man is a threat, because when you see someone is strong and leading that community and, and it's the same reason Christians are a threat, because mm -hmm. they can't be easily manipulated and dissuaded um, to your point of view or whatever scam you're running. And so uh, they have to be taken out because they're not going to give. And that's mm -hmm. why we see the, the Martin Luther King Jr.'s and the Rosa Parks and the people who said, no, I'm standing. I'm standing here and that's where we're at now, but we need to wake up the black community to stand with us. And I'm seeing more and more, uh, you know, I mean, there's the women have always been, are always strong, but more and more, um, I think black men have been a target and they've been marginalized and more and more saying, wait, I'm done. And, and, or at least they weren't visible standing up on these alternate social media platforms to be visible. And I think that is so powerful because um, when men lead, um, just anything can happen. Wow. I love it. Oh, th this has been so much fun. And I, I'll tell you, uh, everybody that's watching, uh, in case you don't know, Dr. Christina Parks, uh, go, go look her up, go Google her. And, uh, you said on telegram, they can, they can just, I'm on telegram. It's an alternate. It's not censored. I had to find one where I could post what I needed to post. Uh, you know what? I might give me a telegram account too. So yeah. So everybody go check out her telegram account. And also, uh, if she does do Instagram or anything, anything else you do, you and I are friends now. Uh, in case you don't know, we we're like, but well, you know, you know, you know, you got play cousins. Amen. So this is my play cousin Christina. Even though she went to Michigan and I went to Ohio State. We where are, are you living family. now? Any place I can come for vacation? Because you know, oh, Michigan's cold in the winter time. There you go. Well, you know, we live in Illinois, and ah. um, yeah, yeah. And, and what part and, of Illinois? Uh, Shorewood, which is right oh. outside, right near Joliet. And okay. uh, also, we're, we're, we're having, um, I'm going to tell you more about it, but we're having a convention in uh, in um, Orlando at the end of October, the All Black okay. National Convention. I'll send you information, and we, uh, I'm publicly extending an invitation to you because I so appreciate everything you've done. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, and I hope everybody in the chat will let uh, Dr. Christina know how much we appreciate everything she's doing because these are the these are the people that we need to know about in the community. Uh, so everybody, hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button on your way out. Uh, also, uh, uh, don't forget that September first is Dr. Claude Anderson's birthday. Uh, so let's make sure that we we mark that on our calendar. Uh, Dr. Claude Anderson wrote a book called Powernomics, Dr. Christina. So you should go take a look. He's um he's in he's he's in he's of your ilk in the sense that he would have agreed with everything you said here. And he's also really big on black empowerment, and everybody loves him. And uh, and there's so much to talk about, but I'm not going to get started because I'll start going on streams of consciousness, which will I'll be talking all day. So, everybody, please hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button. Uh, we will see you soon. And thank you once again, Dr. Parks. And uh, you all have a wonderful day. Remember, make your own decision. Take care of your family. Take care of your, your immune system. Stay healthy. Stay smart. Stay intelligent. And most importantly, please continue to be as black as you can be, uh, because that's what's going to make you great. So God bless you. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Great job.